0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to How I Got Here. Today, I'm joined by Senior Vice President and Global Treasurer at PayPal, Aaron Anderson. And we're going to talk about his career moves and the factors that he considers when making those decisions and his advice for listeners who are looking to move up the ranks um, and a lot more. So, Aaron, thank you so much for speaking with me today.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Olivia.
0: I'd love for you to start with some background, um, maybe like college experience and then post college years.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I, I actually uh, went to the University of Nebraska. I am a, a diehard Cornhusker fan, uh, for sure. Uh, and then after uh, my time there, I was actually uh, spent one year at the FASB. Uh, doing a postgraduate uh, internship. So I do have a degree in accounting. Um, and then from there, uh, went to Deloitte, uh, spent 10 years at Deloitte in various roles. Um, did uh, you know, the audit side, did national office, actually global office in London for a time. Uh, and then uh, you know, after those 10 years, spent about eight years at IBM. And now I've been at uh, PayPal for uh, almost eight years now.
0: So I'd love to hear more about the time that you've spent at the FASB. Was that something that you would do all over again? Like, what was that whole experience like for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Would do it all over again. And I I think for me, kind of growing up in the Midwest uh, personally and, um where uh family trips were uh vacations were to Iowa uh which is not uh, quite uh, out of the midwest so to speak and and then being thrown into an environment on number 1 on the east coast and living kind of in the new york area for the first time uh experiencing that uh experiencing just the that how the accounting standards were made really understanding a, a bit more of the why behind the what um, really opened my eyes uh, to, a, to a whole new world. Uh, in fact, I was there during the time when, uh, it, it, I'm going to date myself, but it was FAS133 and all the derivative standards were coming out and, um, you know, finding myself down in Congress as a 22-year-old uh, kid who'd never really been out of the Midwest um, and, and really just experiencing... Um, a little bit more of of kind of the what what really happens uh, and and really the difficult role that the FASB board members have and the FASB itself was um, really a a great uh, for me, just a a great learning experience um, because I, I didn't uh, I didn't complain about the accounting standards after I uh, saw how difficult it was to, to do something that that made a lot of sense and and uh, and so really gave me an appreciation for not only the the FASB but also our profession and how important and critical it is to the capital markets.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. It gave you that perspective. Um, how did you how did you land that role? Like how did that all happen?
1: So uh, each university gets to nominate someone for this internship, and so I was the the person at the University of Nebraska nominated uh, for it. And I, again, there's a number of nominations, and I remember I I think I, at the time I I was either engaged to be married or just married, and kind of told my my new wife, hey, you know, what about going out to the East Coast for a year? And and she, of course, said. What are the odds that you would <laughs> ever uh, get get something like this? I said, probably zero, but uh, th- my name's in the hat and who knows what will happen. And and did get an interview, uh, did uh, get a chance then to go out and, and spend the year. And quite candidly, there were four of us uh, interns at the time. And uh, the bonds that were created uh, through that were just... Um, uh, really, really strong and something I'll, I'll cherish for my entire life. And our relationships are still strong today. So, um, it's, it was a, a really great experience. We carpooled together. We, uh, spent our, our, uh, you know, we were, we uh, let's see, we had, I was from Nebraska. We had Texas a and BYU and Wisconsin. Uh, we're kind of the, so a pretty, uh, pretty diverse group of, of people coming together, but it was a great experience with, with really three incredible people. And then the staff and, and board members, of the FASB were just tremendous. They really took us under their wing and, and really focused on our growth and development, knowing it was a, a one-year program. And that was the, really the goal of the program. So it was uh, a tremendous experience.
0: You mentioned uh, where the other, um, Candidates were from <clears throat> and some kind of heavy hitters in accounting and finance. And uh, you mentioned to me a while back that you were the first in your family to go to college. And tell me a little bit about about that. Like, what does that mean to you? And and how does it make you think about um, those coming out of school? And 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 also, I guess what would you say to anyone listening who is in the same, having the same experience They're the first person in their family to go to college? Um, they have big dreams, but they don't necessarily maybe have that family model, you yeah. know, to look, to look at.
1: Yeah, no, it, you know, th- there are definitely experiences in our, in our lives that, that really impact us. And for me, my, my family is very, you know, incredibly hardworking, your typical, I'd say stereotypical Midwest, you know, family just, um, you know, we celebrate family. We, we love spending time together and we work really hard. And I think it's that work ethic that, that drove me and knowing that my mom and dad really worked incredibly hard to, to help me try to get to college, even though, at the end of the day, I, I did have to pay for my own college, um, which was, I think, another challenge. Right? Is you realize you you kind of don't have that extra study time because you're you're having to take the jobs to to try to make tuition and and, um, and and so I I think that work ethic and 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 again we we see today even there's a lot of pressure on kids whether it's self imposed whether it's imposed by parents to get into the the right school the you know et cetera and I. You know, my experience was, you know, look, I went to a state school, you could argue not one of the heavy hitting accounting schools, but um, it really, you know, taught me how to work, uh, you know, at, at a, you know, work really hard uh, for what was important and, and those family values, uh, I think, carry me through to today. Right in, in terms of being able to prioritize and be able to uh, ensure that I'm I'm focusing on those things that really are a priority to me, um, and and not just a priority to the enterprise or a priority to you know someone else. Um, and uh, so yeah, I'd say it's it's that work ethic um, and and really the support and love of a family to to say okay, let's uh, you you can actually. Uh, do something uh, that maybe no one else has done. But at the same time, uh, knowing that you are, you are doing something for the first time. And and so there isn't necessarily that role model. I still remember my dad after I graduated, you know, kind of being so proud and taking me out clothes shopping and saying, okay, you're going to go to a firm. And and of course, he he had no idea uh, what clothes I needed to buy. I had no idea what clothes I needed to buy. And we ended up buying like this, you know this nice you know suit or, or sport coat and pants and I remember the partner saying, "Well, I guess you can wear that on Saturday um, <laughs> because uh, you need a suit and tie on the rest of the days." So you know there were learning experiences and and again I, I think when you talk to a lot of people and I, I actually have talked to people that are in a similar so it, it it's those little things it's like what clothes to wear um, you know can you can you golf, right? Some, some things are on the golf course. There's things like that, that just maybe aren't um, things you grew up with, but uh, but are important in the business world. So it, it's important to understand that, but also know that, look, you, you'll learn it and, and uh, and you'll be able to, you know, to, to get those experiences as you go.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. You bring that up, um, you know, the right clothes to wear and golf and these things that, you <clears throat> um, a lot of times help individuals uh, shine and connect with their peers, but also the people above them who might be in positions to promote them. And so there's, there's kind of a balance of how much do I change myself and kind of fake it till I make it. And, uh, and, and I'll say as a woman too, like I don't Uh, I am not going to, well, I shouldn't say as a woman, I'll just say somebody who doesn't golf, (laughs) right? Like that would, I would miss out maybe on that, um, opportunity. Um, and there are tons of things like that. So it's, you know, and, and I, you and I are going to talk about this later because you, you talked about authenticity, uh, when we last spoke. And so I think there's a balance to it. Right.
1: Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, look, golf can be fun and you have to lean into it. Right. Uh, and for a lot of people, it's not very fun. Um, uh, I know that I have a lot of family members that, that go, <laughs> why, why are we doing this again? Um, it's kind of like that roller coaster. Why have I done this to myself again? Um, uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's important though, to be authentic, 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 and to, um, uh, to make sure you're not compromising your core values. Uh, as you go through this. Yeah, definitely.
0: And then at the same time, okay, to put yourself out there a little try new things, you know, that's part of it too. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about your experience at Deloitte. And I know you, you mentioned before that moving to the East coast was a big deal you, with Deloitte, you moved to London, right? So right. how That's did right. you, how did you feel like, how did you feel about that at that time? What was your family situation at the time? And tell me about all of that.
1: Yeah, no, it's great. Actually, when the opportunity came up for London, uh, my wife was nine months pregnant with her second child. (laughs) And so I remember saying, well, they came to me and asked me if I'd go to London. And she was like, can you wait maybe a few months before we talk about this? Uh, Yeah, that's probably a a smart idea. And and thankfully, Deloitte was patient. But, you know, the way it came up was... um, I was in national office, and um, there was a a project. I think at one point, or it was General Motors that was doing some work on IFRS, and uh, they kind of went to the, some of us and said, "Who's willing to take this on?" You know, we pretty much know IFRS, and at the time, I didn't even think it was called IFRS, but you know, we don't really have that experience. But and I just put my hand up. I said, "You know what?" I, i'll learn um it'd be fun to learn something new and and you know i international sounds you know very far away from nebraska and something that would be uh be fun to learn so um i took on that project and you know i think it was probably a week or two week project learned learned quite a bit through it um was it you know helped gm with kind of their you know their questions and then the um and then all of a sudden you're the ifrs expert right um <laughs> because you worked on it for a week or two at that time and then you know started building relationships uh with our international teams that are working on that the european union had decided to kind of move to IFRS, and so it started to, to pick up some steam there was discussion of it coming to the u.s at some point and you know it was something that was really new and and um and so i you know it, it was very different right prince more principle based uh versus rule based and it just kind of intrigued me so i kept on of when a new project would come up i kept on getting assigned that project and over the course of kind of six to nine months you know learned enough where they said you know hey it'd be good to have someone in america and a us gap person over in in the uk as we as we as a firm Try to uh, organize herself around this uh, pending IFRS. So that's how the opportunity came up. And um, but it really stems back to this one project. And I think I actually had to work a, a Saturday or whatever to, to do it. But it was just being willing to kind of put your hand up and say I'll try something new. And then that just turned into this opportunity. And and then you know going over to London too. I remember. Specifically, you know, one of the first things we were doing was writing an accounting manual on what we're, you know, we should take positions as a firm on some of the things. I, I remember this day, it was a very simple question of like 210 net 30, right? So if, if you get a, you know, 2% discount, if you pay within 10 days or, you know, at the end of 30, you know, 30, you pay the full amount um, or pay the full amount by 30. And the question was, how do you account for it? And of course, as U.S. Gap person, I said, well, this is this is an easy answer. Right. And then I started listening to all the different perspectives. Well, is this a a borrowing? Is this financing? Is this? And you're like, I personally never thought about this because it was such an easy question, easy answer. But it turned into an hour long debate on, you know, well, what's really happening? What's the principles? What's the, the theory? And it really opened my mind quite candidly to there's there's actually another way to think about things. Um, and so I think from a learning experience for me, it was, um, you know, making sure I didn't go in just with my perspective and you know, this is the way the Americans do it, therefore this is the way we should do it everywhere. But really saying, okay, let me understand the different views and perspectives uh, that um, that apply. And again, it was just something so simple, but then you apply that to the complex as well. And, uh, it was really a great experience. I learned a ton. Um, we moved over there when my kids were at the, I think probably six months and two and a half years old. So it was a, an interesting time to move a family, uh, over there. Uh, but, uh, at the end of the two year stint, both my kids had British accents and, uh, and, uh, and yeah, we still have that recorded. They lost it pretty quick when we got back, but, um, you know, worked with some just amazing people. We got to travel around Europe and again, being someone whose vacations were to Iowa, um, you know, being able to, to find yourself in Rome or, uh, you know, in Paris or, you know, it was just a, a tremendous life experience uh, for us. And we went back actually um, uh, three years ago or two years ago, we took the family back and the, the, you know, the boys kind of went to, you know, their old, playgrounds. And and it was really a a neat kind of time and and realized we still love London and just a real special place with amazing people. Um, And really, we got to work I was working with someone from South Africa, someone from France, someone from, I mean, it brought a bunch of people. And so just to learn the different cultures, um, for me was just, um, I said, it's, it's, it was such an amazing experience. And again, people that honestly, I still, still interact with today. Um, so yeah, it's
0: such a theme for you, like that open-mindedness and then the continuous learning, um, you're very open to other. You know, perspectives. Um, it's not, I heard that when you were talking about your time at the FasB too um, and and hearing from others and I'm, I'm ex, you know I'm looking forward to talking a little bit later about your leadership style because I it all kind of <clears throat> relates to each other. Um, I, I fast forward a little bit to your decision to leave Deloitte. We talked about that. What went into that decision?
1: Yeah. So I had done the time in London, we were coming back to the States and, um, you know, at the time I, my boys were two and two and four and a half, something like that, two and a half and almost five. And, um, realized that, you know, personally I, I needed to make a decision on my priorities and, uh, and saw myself getting caught up in the whole partner track and, and those things. And, and again, that would have been fine, but I personally said, what, what's a priority? Is it my, is it my wife? Is it my kids or is it my career? And, and I felt like I had to make a choice. I had to, I had to act in a way that was consistent with my, my values and my priorities. And so I felt like, you know, quite candidly that I was working too much, that I wasn't able to, you know, attend my kids' little t-ball teams. I wasn't clearly able to, you know, participate as a coach or as, you know, as a, you know, just be on the sidelines. And, and, and I didn't really, I I didn't really like that. Um, And so I challenged myself to say, look, if, if family is truly your priority, are you acting in a way that's consistent with that? And the answer was no. Uh, so, it, for me, it was the right decision to 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 leave um, uh, Deloitte. I, I joined I, IBM as in a technical accounting role, um, and what that did is it was a nice transition, by the way, to take a skill set that I had and go into corporate because corporate is very different than than public. So it was a great transitional role, kind of into the into the corporate world. Uh, but it also gave me a little bit more. Uh, of predictability on my schedule and a little bit more control. Uh, and um, and in, in hindsight, it was, you know, for, and that was really what drove the personal uh, decision. But um, in, in hindsight, looking back to, and I had some great leaders at Deloitte, but IBM is really a leadership factor. Um, and I'd say what IBM has still has to this day, cause I still know a lot of the, the people that are in, in significant roles there. Um, IBM, I think is it, the strength is the quality of their people, the quality of the leadership that they have. And just being able to learn from those leaders and observe them I'm quite can, I didn't know it by the way, at the time, but to observe the incredible leadership and, and what it means to really lead, uh, was a tremendous value to me, but you know, back to your question, it was really for me. And, and by the way, at the time, I, I thought I was throwing my career away, you know, people were telling me, well, this is the dumbest move you can make because you, you, you're you gonna make partner, you know, why would you give up partnership and all the money and prestige that comes from partnership to go do a technical accounting role? And and I just kind of personally said, look, and, and by the way, I felt that I was like, you know what, maybe I am throwing my career away but it, but we need to, to, to make decisions in life that are consistent with what's, a, what's important. And, and I'll tell you, looking, looking back now with my oldest now is 22 and my, my youngest or my middle one is 20. Um, the relationships I have with them is incredibly strong. Uh, we text, we talk a lot. We, even when they're away at college and, um, that I will not you know, that to me, if you're going to define success, I think that that is, that's my definition.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and that brings me to something that you said when we last spoke, which was to be authentic with what's important to you. And I think we use the term authenticity a lot, um, especially these days, but what I like about the way that you put it is <clears throat> it doesn't mean necessarily bringing your whole self to your job and it's not always appropriate. It, it was really more about what makes you happy. How do you really define success in your life? Um, and I, and I just love that, that you were able to define that for yourself at a pretty young you know, age and, and, how amazing that you're, you're that sort of role model for your own kids and then for your team, you know, any team that you lead, um, what outside of family, what are some of the other factors that would go into making a kind of career decision like that? Um, and how do you know that it's the right time to make a move?
1: Yeah, that's, well, that's a hard question, right? Because it's so unique to every individual. And I I think, again, to start off with what, what, what are your values, right? What, what, and for me, it was, it was family, Um, but for, for everyone, it's different, right? And so I think start off, make sure you understand yourself, you understand your values. I, I think the second is have the right perspective on your career. Um, and it's hard to do, especially when you're early in your career, because you're thinking about, okay, well, two years here and then it's that, and then it's that and it's step, step, and then and you create goals and here's the steps. But understand a career is 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 decades, right? It's 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 not measured in, in weeks. Clearly it's not measured in months. And to a certain extent, hardly in years, it's really, you know, a a good healthy career could be, you know, 30, 40 years. And, and so for me, especially early in the career, I think your career decisions are made on, on what you can learn. And again, that could be, I'll just say within Deloitte, for example, I I had probably four different roles in my 10 years there. You know, whether it was kind of an audit senior, whether it was national office, whether it was global office, whether it was, you know, it, and even within there, there was different experiences. And so I think, you know, there's a, at the early kind of first, you know, I'll call it 10 years of your career really need to be focused on what am I learning? And, and usually when, when, when I talk to people that want to do an internal move within PayPal or whatever, or want to do an external move, that's the key question. You know, why are you making the decision and what what are you going to learn there that you're not going to learn here? And there are times that that is absolutely the right move, right? Because, you know, and, and again, one of the, I'll, I'll go back when I took the internship, at the FASB, I had people at Deloitte saying, don't do it, just come to Deloitte and do this. And I was like, well, I think I'll learn more here than I will there for the first year, right? And then there'll be plenty of time to work at Deloitte after that. Um, And and then even the experiences, what will I learn? And I feel like looking back, if you keep that focus, especially those first 10 years, get learning experiences, get it's not about necessarily trying to get the next 10% of bump and pay, or the title, and I, I see that a lot is is people saying, "Well, I can move here and get the title, and I can have treasurer on my resume or chief accounting officer on my resume." That may be good, but you may find yourself after a few months being bored and saying, "Well, okay, I have the title, maybe I have a little bit of money, but I'm but have I just painted myself into a corner from a career perspective?" And, and so I think that's the, the one question I usually ask everyone with when either a, they're thinking about a move or have decided to move it's, what are you going to learn and be very intentional about that? And there, there was a, um, an exercise that we did at IBM, which I, I thought was great. We called it, um, your green resume and your blue resume. And it was challenging ourselves to, to look back every six to 12 months. And say, how have I improved my green resume? Meaning, how valuable am I outside of IBM? And how have I improved my blue resume? How valuable I am within IBM? And it's to really reflect on, am I learning? Because it's very easy to become complacent. Like I know my job. I'm comfortable. I don't. I don't have to challenge myself. Um, but if you're not building your green and your blue resume, to use the, you're going to find yourself stagnating. And that's that's not effective. So I feel like those those are kind of the challenges. A make sure you're always trying to improve both your your marketability in and outside of the company you're in, uh, and then be really focused on okay, what have, what have I learned, and, and what what do I want to learn, and some of that can be done through listening to things like this or or um, you know courses or getting your MBA or, and a lot of it is in my personal opinion is just on the job experiences. It's, it's observing others. It's, you know, saying, can I shadow, you know, an executive for, for a week? Um, can I, you know, what are some of those experiences I can do to try to learn um, and really, um, you know, give myself better perspective? Cause I feel like, you know, perspective is, is the key to, um, to making those right decisions.
0: When you talk about stagnation in a job, I think you're making an important distinction too between taking on a role that is going to challenge you and grueling work. right? So like you should be looking for the job that is going to be captivate, like keeping your interest. I mean, it's a huge portion of your life is at work, whether you're these days at home or not. And um, so if you're not terribly stimulated by it, um, what a waste, you know, for whatever the title is or your, your salary increase. Right. But it sounds like you have been able to differentiate between, okay, what sounds like a challenge that's going to keep me interested versus what is putting too much on my plate and, and, and like I said, grueling work um, yeah. which you kind of walked away from, you know, because it, it perhaps it was challenging and grueling at the same time, but it doesn't exactly. have to be both like they don't go hand in hand. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people make that mistake early on too. Um, I think we tell ourselves like, well, in our first jobs, we're just going to be working like X number of hours and we're just going to be doing, you know, working around the clock. And we always have to be answering our phone and our messages. And, and I, I don't know. I mean, you would know better than, than me in this, um, field, but is that necessary?
1: Yeah, it look, I, I make sure I understand the question. Um you know, you you always want to challenge yourself. And and I think um it's important to reflect on am I working hard or am I working and, and just working hard or am I working hard and learning? And and those two aren't necessarily the same. Now there are different seasons in life where maybe there's a transaction or there's something that causes you to have to, 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 to burn the midnight oil for a time. And those, those happen in all of our, our careers. Right. Um, but it is, um, it's vital to just kind of make sure you're reflecting on it. Am I, am I learning? And, and by the way, am I, am I getting too comfortable and, um, because and I'll tell you, I like I've personally, I personally, I was a chief county officer at PayPal for, you know, about five years. And I could have stayed in that role for a long time. It was very challenging uh, and continues to be very challenging. Um, but the opportunity came up to move over to Treasury and, you know, it, about two years ago. And I can tell you, actually, personally, it was it was a little scary. Right. Which is I've just spent, you know. 20, 25 years of my career doing accounting. And, and now I'm going to move over to Treasury. It's a whole different, um, uh, you know, different uh, discipline. And, you know, thankfully has some a great team and, and great leader in, in, in my CFO that kind of believed in me and um, a team that is fantastic, um, that was really led incredibly well. So it was an e- easy transition. But, you um, you know, for me, it was, it's, you know, it's scary. And I, and I think there are times in our career where we have to put ourselves in those positions where we kind of take a step where we're like, Oh, this is, this is a little, little scary. And, and this is, um, this is something that, that I I'm not walking into with a hundred percent confidence I can be successful. And, um, and and that's you know, but it's also important to understand what are the skill sets that are going to make me successful, mm. and and to be able to understand the difference between, you know, being a a great technician and being a great leader. Like what are what are the skill sets needed uh, for for the the um, for the organization that you're leading to be high performing? So, um, you know, it we need to challenge ourselves, or else we're going to find ourselves thirty years from now going boy, I wish I would have challenged myself, you know, 20 years ago to mm-hmm. do something a little bit, a little bit scary,
0: but comfortable is attractive. So yeah. it it takes a leap. Like, you know, what you're talking about having that element of fear. And I think that's tricky. I I'll speak personally. That's tricky for me sometimes is knowing, uh, if something feels scary, right. But then like, you're also always told to, to listen to your, your gut, right. So if something feels scary, like your gut's kind of telling you don't do it. <laughs> exactly. But so it's like that's a that's a it's a tricky thing. But I hear what you're saying too, that like your role was challenging, Definitely. you know, before you moved over to Treasury. Um, but it's it's really about l- learning is the compass. That's
1: right.
0: Right. So not necessarily which is different. I'm glad you said that. Like it is different than a challenge, learning and and um yeah growing your skill set and your repertoire like that's that's the compass that that's what i'm hearing is that fair to say
1: that's absolutely fair
0: yeah let's talk about your your definition of leadership yeah. um and then i want to talk about since those listening are going to be earlier in their career yeah. like how you develop that over time
1: yeah but how
0: would you how do you define it today
1: yeah so I would, I would define my, my style of leadership as, as servant leadership um, in a simple sense. And, and how, how that's developed over time is through a lot of, of reading, <laughs> a lot of observing others and quite candidly observing people that I want to emulate and quite candidly those people I don't want to emulate. Um, I think in our careers, we have really good leaders and maybe not so good leaders and um, and as I kind of read and 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 kind of felt like, well, what is my, um, you know, what are my values? What are my belief systems? That the notion of, you know, a leader being more of a servant than a um, uh, than a than, than a person being served, uh, really resonated with me. And at least what I observed. If I go back to IBM and and say when I observed. The, the leaders there and just the the quality and, and what they brought out of people. Um, it, it just made me want to be like them. And, you know, there's a, a very simple, you know, concept behind servant leadership, which is do those you lead get better because you're in their life, you know, do those you lead get better because you're in your life, it, it, you're in their life. Um, and I saw that in spades at IBM. I saw that, you know certain individuals that you know when you look at and now one just retired and when you look at the people that have worked for this person you realize that you know there's probably about 25 or 30 cfos of public companies that can say they work for one individual at ibm and by the way that individual was never the cfo of ibm right why is that Uh, because that individual brought the best out of people and helped them believe in themselves, helped them see things in themselves that they couldn't even see and really drive and help them understand what it means to be a great leader. And it's, it's something that, that just really resonated with me. Um, and, and, I, I really believe that, you know, organizations, um, the ones that are really high performing organizations, they do two things. They consistently deliver outstanding results while maximizing the employee experience. And a lot of times we focus so much on the former and not the latter, right? We focus on leadership as driving an EPS number or as driving a revenue number, as driving a and that's 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 half the equation. Um it's also making sure you're maximizing the employee experience, you're providing career development, you're challenging, you're helping people see the potential they have in themselves. You're pulling, you know, that capability out of people and creating both, both a challenging work environment, but a, just a, a really rewarding work environment when individuals can look back and say, boy, I never thought I could achieve what I just did, right? Right. And so leaders are kind of like that, that trainer, right. That athletic trainer, that coach, that, that, that helps you move beyond your own, the boundaries you set for yourself or that have been set for yourself, um, and, and really deliver some, you know, outstanding results for the company, but also for yourself. And, um, and so that, that to me is, it's, it's become a passion of mine. I, I realized too, and, and again, that, In your career, you go through kind of that natural progression where, you know, there's kind of four stages of leadership. The first stage is can you lead yourself, right? Can you show up to class on time? Can you show up to work on time? Can you, you know, when you're given a task, can you complete it? Uh, The second step is can you lead one other person? so so now you're you're maybe in your second or third year in your career have you can, can you mentor someone can you take on that first year can you take on someone and and really help them and and really pour into them um and and say look it's not about me getting better it's about helping you get better and maybe you'll be better than me one day and maybe you know but yeah I, there's a quote i like it says you finally become an adult when you realize it's not about you anymore and, and so I think it's that transition kind of, can you lead one other person, but then step three is, can you lead a team and the, and the skills that are necessary. And I feel it in, 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 especially in finance, we get promoted historically by, by, how good we do something. But then when you get to that third step of, of team leadership, it's less about what you do and it's more about what you enable And that's a very different skill set because the natural tendency for high performers is, well, just give it to me. I can do it better than you can kind of thing. And, and, and that's not the right, that's not leadership. Right, that That's focusing more on the output as opposed to focusing on, on creating a sustainable, high-performing organization. And, and I think that's a lot of people get caught up in that. And that's where you see kind of the difference between good leadership and bad leadership is where it's kind of like you need to do everything my way and you need to do it. And this is the outcome. And and if you can't do it, I'll, I'll do it. And I'll find someone else that that's not leadership, right? That's, that's, you know, there's another phrase, I think it was Covey that said uh, leaders, uh, managers, make sure you climb the ladder that we're achieving the kind of the next, the next goal leaders, make sure the ladder's on the right wall. And it's, it's about that perspective. Can you as a team leader jump out and take a different uh, perspective, and then the last step is organizational leadership. Can you lead an organization of teams? And and I feel like that's even a, a bigger chasm to, to jump uh, for many people because the skill set uh, to do that is no longer a technical skill set necessarily. It, it you need that basis, but you, but it's really about. Uh, motivating teams and putting the right skill sets in the right on the right tasks and understanding what kind of, you know, do you need to be directive in your leadership style or do you need to be more coaching in your leadership style? There's um, and how do you then bring out the organization? So it's uh, the organization potential. So it's and, and a lot of times we don't focus on that. Right. In our careers, we kind of get 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 in that point where if I just deliver this, and I can deliver this amount of revenue or I can deliver this amount of, you know, budget forecast accuracy. If I can deliver whatever it is, we're delivering that that defines success and early in our career. Yes, that's important. But as you progress in your career, you have to understand the, the skill sets that are needed in the next role are going to be different than the ones necessarily in your current role.
0: And thinking about that early career person um, or even student who's listening, it sounds like they should focus at this time on leading themselves, right? And raising their hand for opportunities, um, being responsible, being like an open-minded leader, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. But, but also understand too. And I remember this in my early days, which was, you know, Oh, I can do that job or I can do that. Mm. But the the most important thing is do the job that you're in and do it incredibly well. Those things will come. Don't worry about that. That will happen. Deliver on what you're, you're tasked to deliver and then deliver on your own personal goals of making yourself better and giving yourself those learning experiences. And then every once in a while, make sure you're grounding yourself on what's important. Um, because again, I, I think we we do ourselves a disservice of, I go back to, you know, college kids and, and you know, it was, you know, their friends, well, I need to get into Stanford. Or I need to get into Harvard. Or I need to get into, you know, look, the reality is th- that that's that may be right for some people but you know it's not the college you go to it, it's what you learn it's it's you know and and by the way many of you may have gone to the a certain college like that guess what it doesn't matter anymore right it really does not matter Um, because now you're going to be equal with the person like me that went to the state school and it's not going to come up on your performance evaluation that, oh, this person went to Stanford and this person went to Nebraska. Um, it's going to be about your work ethic. Can you deliver? Can you be held? Can you, are you responsible for what you're, you're, you're being, uh, asked to do? Those are the things that matter now. And, uh, um, so it's, it's really important to understand. And by the way, those things change over time. And, and I would say it's, you know, a a lot of, um, it it's, I I guess the other thing to add it's it's not necessarily what you do, but how you do it as well. That matter, um, because a lot of people can deliver great results, but it's the people that can deliver it in a way that actually makes the people around them better, uh, that are, that are really set up for leadership.
0: I think you've really probably touched on this already, but you've you've moved up the ranks at PayPal. I think you've been there about eight years. Is that right? Eight
1: years, yeah, almost. And held,
0: yeah, and held uh, quite a few roles. um, For for those listening who are would consider themselves ambitious and and would like to also um, kind of climb the ranks um, because that's what they value, and no shame in that. Um, What's your advice for them?
1: Yeah. You know, look, every organization is different and every organization has different values. I'd say what what I found, though, in in my career journey is the less I focused on myself uh, and the more I focused on others, the more responsibility was given to me. And, it, and it's really an, a kind of that oxymoron. <laughs> like I would say, countercultural. But ultimately, the best leaders in my, that, at least at PayPal and and I would argue it, at IBM and others, are the ones that continue to develop themselves, but also make sure they're developing those people around them. And and their how the how they work, how they enable, how they grow, really you know others really matters because ultimately. Um, no one wants to follow a leader that's just in it for themselves and, and you, you see it, right. If the leader kind of says, I, you know, I got to the top and this is about me, um, you know, you just don't create followership, followership. And, and, and there's a, there's a question I think, um, you know, that I, that I asked my team is, you know, it's really how much of the, of your time is spent serving me, versus serving our customers and as a leader if you find that you know you think everyone should serve you well guess what you're not going to serve your customers very well and and so the, the key dynamics we've got to make sure we're spending the majority if not nearly all the time serving our customers and whether those be internal customers as finance professionals um but the more time my team spends trying to serve me, the less time they're serving their customers and the less effective we are as an organization. And and I felt and I, and I know it's kind of easy to say that now, but I, I really think that there's a countercultural counter intuitive way that the, the, the more you focus on enabling others, the more you focus on being that that um, that that growth leader the more responsibility your organization is going to be willing to give you because they know it's about the enterprise. They know it's about others. And that's ultimately what they want in leaders. I've yet to find an organization that says, I want a leader who can just, you know, crack the whip and, uh, and, you know, and make life miserable for everyone and and be self-serving. Now there are people that get into those roles that have that. And we all know we don't like working for them. And so either we leave the company or we join a different group. And eventually, those people are moved out and don't become leaders anymore. Um, and so, I think that for me, I, that was kind of the the learning for me, which is, you know, the, the less I'm focused on, you know, myself, the more I'm focused on building up others, the more I'm focused on on delivering for the enterprise. Uh, in a, in a strategic and rash, you know, very rational way without killing our teams by overworking and, you know, creating a, a, a horrible, uh, you know, work life balance situation, the more we can kind of, you know, create that sustainability in, in that perspective, then the more responsibility I was given.
0: Love that advice. The last thing I want to ask you about Aaron is uh, you're you're very involved with FEI and AICPA and I know other organizations too. So why do you think it's important to join like a professional organization like that? And and maybe like when when what's what's the right time in your career to do that?
1: Yeah. Um, so absolutely very involved in FEI and I felt FEI for me, um, you know, it, we're, when we're in our corporate. Bubbles. We're surrounded by people who are seeing the same challenges we're seeing, or thinking the same things we're thinking. And I found it incredibly valuable uh, to participate in events where I could learn and listen to others. And, and it inevitably it it never failed. Where you know I'm sitting there listening to to, to maybe others say, "Well, this is the challenge we're having." And I'm thinking, "Boy, I didn't even think that." That's a challenge that. Uh, you know we have, but i didn't even know it um and now I need to focus on that um, I also felt it's a it it was a it's a good forum to um to really test your own views on things to a certain extent to really um, uh, you know understand other views and then say okay well that why are they thinking differently than me on on maybe this this position and should i you know kind of before I formulate or finalize my own view should i i really um, kind of test that against other people's views. So I think those two are kind of the, the key things, um, you know, that, that come out of, of, of these. And, and I'll use a real-life example. Recently, obviously, Russia has been top of mind for a lot of people. And, and I participate in a lot of forums saying, okay, what are you, what are you seeing? What are you? And inevitably, it's like, okay, well, this, there's this new rule, these, you know, new banking infrastructure. And you, you tend to learn something that uh, from your peers uh, that you just can't learn uh, from anywhere else, and and realize that maybe there's, you know, a group of you know your peers that you're all going through the same questions, and maybe someone has answered it, or maybe someone has a piece of information that uh, that they're willing to share. Um, I, another we're. One of the things we're tasked with doing uh, in a treasury group, and it's just been very fun for me, is is uh, social impact investing. It's about, you know, we put four hundred million dollars, uh, well, toward racial equity, and another hundred million dollars toward gender equity. And so, for me, it's like, okay, here's the challenge: how do we invest that money in a way that promotes both racial and gender equity? In, in an environment where a lot of those investments are not obvious uh, and they're they're not easy this is somewhat new and finding that you know the, the time i can spend with other FEI members uh who are basically being challenged with the same tasks and say what have you learned what have you learned and you know, and, and ultimately in the in this situation it, you know all ships rise when the information is shared and we learn from each other so for me you know, through my throughout my career, and I've been involved with FEI since my IBM days. When I, it's been an invaluable um, resource for me, and it's really the the power of of that community. Um, and and by the way, I people reach out to me as well, well. Hey, have you done this or that? And it's like it's it's not a competitive landscape out there necessarily. It's a community, and when we invest in the community, both our own time, but then when others invest in the community that, that benefit us, I, we, we end up all uh, becoming much better out of that, that experience.
0: I love that. Well, that was my last question for you, Aaron. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our, our conversation and I learned a lot. Um, so thank you for giving me your time.
1: Well, thank you, Olivia. I really enjoyed it.